0: Chapter eleven of the wide wide world. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The wide wide world by Susan Warner. Chapter eleven. Running away with the brook. Clouds and rain and cold winds kept Ellen within doors for several days. This did not better the state of matters between herself and her aunt. Shut up with her in the kitchen from morning till night with the only variety of the old lady's company part of the time ellen thought neither of them improved upon acquaintance perhaps they thought the same of her she was certainly not in her best mood with nothing to do the time hanging very heavy on her hands disappointed unhappy frequently irritated ellen became at length very ready to take offence and nowise disposed to pass it over or smooth it away she seldom showed this in words it is true but it rankled in her mind Listless and brooding she sat day after day, comparing the present with the past, wishing vain wishes, indulging bootless requests, and looking upon her aunt and grandmother with an eye of more settled aversion. The only other person she saw was Mr. Van Brunt, who came in regularly to meals, but he never said anything, unless in answer to Miss Fortune's questions and remarks about the farm concerns. These did not interest her, and she was greatly wearied with the sameness of her life. She longed to go out again. But Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday passed, and the weather still kept her close prisoner. Monday brought a change, but though a cool drying wind blew all day, the ground was too wet to venture out. On the evening of that day, as Miss Fortune was setting the table for tea, and Ellen sitting before the fire, feeling weary of everything, the kitchen door opened, and a girl somewhat larger and older than herself came in. She had a pitcher in her hand, and marching straight up to the tea-table, she said, "'Will you let Granny have a little milk to-night, Miss Fortune? "'I can't find the cow. "'I'll bring it back to-morrow.' "'You hain't lost her, Nancy.' "'Have, though,' said the other. "'She's been away these two days.' "'Why didn't you go somewhere nearer for milk?' "'Oh, I don't know. "'I guess yourn is the sweetest,' said the girl, "'with a look Ellen did not understand.' Miss Fortune took the pitcher and went into the pantry. While she was gone the two children improved the time in looking very hard at each other. Ellen's gaze was modest enough though it showed a great deal of interest in the new object. But the broad, searching stare of the other seemed intended to take in all there was of Ellen from her head to her feet, and keep it, and find out what sort of a creature she was at once. Ellen almost shrank from the bold black eyes, but they never wavered, till Miss Fortune's voice broke the spell. "'How's your grandmother, Nancy?' "'She's tolerable, ma'am. Thank you.' "'Now, if you don't bring it back to-morrow, you won't get any more in a hurry,' said Miss Fortune, as she handed the pitcher back to the girl. "'I'll mind it,' said the latter, with a little nod of her head, which seemed to say there was no danger of her forgetting. "'Who is that, Aunt Fortune?' said Ellen, when she was gone. "'She is a girl that lives up the mountain yonder. "'But what's her name?' "'I had just as lief you wouldn't know her name. "'She ain't a good girl. "'Don't you never have anything to do with her?' Ellen was in no mind to give credit to all her aunt's opinions, and she set this down as in part at least coming from ill humor. The next morning was calm and fine, and Ellen spent nearly the whole of it out of doors. She did not venture near the ditch, but in every other direction she explored the ground and examined what stood or grew upon it as thoroughly as she dared. Towards noon she was standing by the little gate at the back of the house, unwilling to go in, but not knowing what more to do, when Mr. Van Brunt came from the lane with a load of wood. Ellen watched the oxen toiling up the ascent, and thought it looked like very hard work. She was sorry for them. "'Isn't that a very heavy load?' she asked of their driver, as he was throwing it down under the apple-tree. "'Heavy? Not a bit of it. It ain't nothing at all to em. They'd take twice as much any day, with pleasure.' "'I shouldn't think so,' said Ellen. "'They don't look as if there was much pleasure about it.' What makes them lean over so against each other when they are coming up a hill? Oh, that's just a way they've got. They're so fond of each other, I suppose. Perhaps they've something particular to say, and want to put their heads together for the purpose. No, said Ellen, half laughing. It can't be that. They wouldn't take the very hardest time for that. They would wait till they got to the top of the hill. But there they stand, just as if they were asleep, only their eyes are open. Poor things. "'They're not very poor anyhow,' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'There ain't a finer yoke of oxen to be seen than them are, nor in better condition.' He went on throwing the wood out of the cart, and Ellen stood looking at him. "'What'll you give me if I'll make you a scup one of these days?' said Mr. Van Brunt. "'A scup?' said Ellen. "'Yes, a scup. How would you like it?' "'I don't know what it is,' said Ellen. "'A scup. Maybe you don't know it by that name. Some folks call it a swing.' a swing oh yes said ellen now i know oh i like it very much would you like to have one yes indeed i should very much well what'll you give me if i'll fix you out i don't know said ellen i have nothing to give i'll be very much obliged to you indeed well now come i'll make a bargain with you i'll engage to fix a scup for you if you'll give me a kiss poor ellen was struck dumb The good-natured Dutchman had taken a fancy to the little, pale-faced, sad-looking stranger, and really felt very kindly disposed toward her. But she neither knew, nor at the moment cared about that. She stood motionless, utterly astounded at his unheard-of proposal, and not a little indignant. But when, with a good-natured smile upon his round face, he came near to claim the kiss he no doubt thought himself sure of, Ellen shot from him, like an arrow from a bow, She rushed to the house, and, bursting open the door, stood with flushed face and sparkling eyes in the presence of her astonished aunt. "'What in the world is the matter?' exclaimed that lady. "'He wanted to kiss me,' said Ellen, scarcely knowing whom she was talking to, and crimsoning more and more. "'Who wanted to kiss you? That man out there. What man?' "'The man that drives the oxen.' "'What? Mr. Van Brunt?' and Ellen never forgot the loud ha-ha which burst from Miss Fortune's wide-open mouth. "'Well, why didn't you let him kiss you?' The laugh, the look, the tone, stung Ellen to the very quick. In a fury of passion she dashed away out of the kitchen and up to her own room, and there, for a while, the storm of anger drove over her with such violence that conscience had hardly time to whisper. Sorrow came in again as passion faded, and gentler but very bitter weeping took the place of compulsive sobs of rage and mortification and then the whispers of conscience began to be heard a little oh mamma mamma cried poor ellen in her heart how miserable i am without you i can never like aunt fortune it's of no use i never can like her i hope i shan't get to hate her and that isn't right i'm forgetting all that is good and there's nobody to put me in mind oh mamma if i could lay my head in your lap for a minute Then came thoughts of her Bible and hymn-book, and the friend who had given it. Sorrowful thoughts they were, and at last, humbled and sad, poor Ellen sought that great friend she knew she had displeased, and prayed earnestly to be made a good child. She felt and owned she was not one now. It was long after midday when Ellen rose from her knees. Her passion was all gone. She felt more gentle and pleasant than she had done for days, but at the bottom of her heart resentment was not all gone. She still thought she had cause to be angry, and she could not think of her aunt's look and tone without a thrill of painful feeling. In a very different mood, however, from that in which she had flown upstairs two or three hours before, she now came softly down, and went out by the front door to avoid meeting her aunt. She had visited that morning a little brook, which ran through the meadow on the other side of the road. It had great charms for her, and now, crossing the lane and creeping under the fence, she made her way again to its banks. At a particular spot where the brook made one of its sudden turns, Ellen sat down upon the grass and watched the dark water whirling, brawling over the stones, hurrying past her with the ever same soft pleasant sound, and she was never tired of it. She did not hear footsteps drawing near, and it was not till some one was close beside her and a voice spoke almost in her ears that she raised her startled eyes and saw the little girl who had come the evening before for a pitcher of milk. What are you doing? said the latter. "'I'm watching for fish,' said Ellen. "'Watching for fish?' said the other, rather disdainfully. "'Yes,' said Ellen. "'There, in that little quiet place they come sometimes. I've seen two. "'You can look for fish another time. "'Come now and take a walk with me.' "'Where?' said Ellen. "'Oh, you shall see. "'Come, I'll take you all about and show you where people live. "'You ha'n't been anywhere yet, have you?' "'No,' said Ellen. "'And I should like dearly to go, but—' She hesitated. Her aunt's words came to mind that this was not a good girl, and that she must have nothing to do with her. But she had not more than half believed them, and she could not possibly bring herself now to go in and ask Miss Fortune's leave to take this walk. I am sure, thought Ellen, that she would refuse me if there was no reason in the world. And then the delight of rambling through the beautiful country, and being for a while in other company than that of her aunt Fortune and the old grandmother. The temptation was too great to be withstood. "'Well, what are you thinking about?' said the girl. "'What's the matter? Won't you come?' "'Yes,' said Ellen. "'I'm ready. Which way shall we go?' With the assurance from the other that she would show her plenty of ways, they set off down the lane, Ellen with a secret fear of being seen and called back, till they had gone some distance and the house was hid from view. Then her pleasure became great. The afternoon was fair and mild, the footing pleasant, and Ellen felt like a bird out of a cage. She was ready to be delighted with every trifle. Her companion could not by any means understand or enter into her bursts of pleasure at many a little thing which she of the black eyes thought not worthy of notice. She tried to bring Ellen back to higher subjects of conversation. "'How long have you been here?' she asked. "'Oh, a good while,' said Ellen. "'I don't know exactly. It's a week, I believe.' "'Why, do you call that a good while?' said the other. "'Well, it seems a good while to me,' said Ellen, sighing. "'It seems as long as four, I am sure. "'Then you don't like to live here much, do you?' I HAD RATHER BE AT HOME, OF COURSE. HOW DO YOU LIKE YOUR aunt FORTUNE?" HOW DO I LIKE HER, SAID ELLEN, HESITATING. I THINK SHE'S GOOD-LOOKING AND VERY SMART. YES, YOU NEEDN'T TELL ME SHE'S SMART. EVERYBODY KNOWS THAT. THAT AIN'T WHAT I ASK YOU. HOW DO YOU LIKE HER?" HOW DO I LIKE HER, SAID ELLEN AGAIN? HOW CAN I TELL HOW I SHALL LIKE HER? I HAVEN'T LIVED WITH HER BUT A WEEK YET. YOU MIGHT JUST AS WELL HAVE SPOKE OUT, SAID THE OTHER, SOMEWHAT SCORNFULLY. "'Do you think I don't know you half-hate her already, and it'll be whole-hating in another week more? When I first heard you'd come, I guessed you'd have a sweet time with her.' "'Why?' said Ellen. "'Oh, don't ask me why,' said the other, impatiently, "'when you know as well as I do. Every soul that speaks of you says, "'Poor child,' and I'm glad I ain't her. You needn't try to come cunning over me. I shall be too much for you, I tell you.' "'I don't know what you mean,' said Ellen. "'Oh, no, I suppose you don't,' said the other, in the same tone. "'Of course you don't. "'I suppose you don't know whether your tongue is your own or somebody else's. "'You think Miss Fortune is an angel, and so do I, to be sure she is.' Not very pleased with this kind of talk, Ellen walked on for a while, in grave silence. Her companion meantime recollected herself. When she spoke again, it was with an altered tone. "'How do you like Mr. Van Brunt?' "'I don't like him at all,' said Ellen, reddening. "'Don't you?' said the other, surprised.' "'Why, everybody likes him. What don't you like him for?' "'I don't like him,' repeated Ellen. "'Ain't Miss Fortune queer to live in the way she does?' "'What way?' said Ellen. "'Why, without any help, doing all her own work and living all alone, when she's so rich as she is?' "'Is she rich?' asked Ellen. "'Rich. I guess she is. She's one of the very best farms in the country, and money enough to have a dozen help, if she wanted em. Van Brunt takes care of the farm, you know.' "'Does he?' said Ellen. "'Why, yes, of course he does. Didn't you know that? What did you think he was at your house all the time for?' "'I'm sure I don't know,' said Ellen. "'And are those Aunt Fortune's oxen that he drives?' "'To be sure they are. Well, I do think you are, Green, to have been there all this time and not found that out. Mr. Van Brunt does just what he pleases over the whole farm, though, hires what help he wants, manages everything, and then he has his share of all that comes off of it. I tell you what, you'd better make friends with Van Brunt.' For if anybody can help you when your aunt gets one of her ugly fits, it's him. She don't care to meddle with him much. Leaving the lane, the two girls took a footpath leading across the fields. The stranger was greatly amused here with Ellen's awkwardness in climbing fences. Where it was a possible thing, she was fain to crawl under, but once or twice that could not be done. And having, with infinite difficulty, mounted to the top rail, poor Ellen sat there in a most tottering condition, uncertain on which side of the fence she should tumble over but seeing no other possible way of getting down. The more she trembled, the more her companion laughed, standing aloof meanwhile, and insisting she should get down by herself. Necessity enabled her to do this at last, and each time the task became easier. But Ellen secretly made up her mind that her new friend was not likely to prove a very good one. As they went along, she pointed out to Ellen two or three houses in the distance, and gave her not a little gossip about the people who lived in them, But all this Ellen scarcely heard, and cared nothing at all about. She had paused by the side of a large rock standing alone by the wayside, and was looking very closely at its surface. "'What is this curious brown stuff?' said Ellen, growing all over the rock. "'Like shriveled and dried-up leaves. Isn't it curious? Part of it stands out like a leaf, and part of it sticks fast. I wonder if it grows here, or what it is.' "'Oh, never mind,' said the other. "'It always grows on the rocks everywhere. I don't know what it is. And what's more, I don't care.' "'Tain't worth looking at. Come!' Ellen followed her, but presently the path entered an open woodland, and now her delight broke forth beyond bounds. "'Oh, how pleasant this is! How lovely this is! Isn't it beautiful?' she exclaimed. "'Isn't what beautiful? "'I do think you are the queerest girl, Ellen.' "'Why, everything,' said Ellen, not minding the latter part of the sentence. "'The ground is beautiful, and all those tall trees. "'And that beautiful blue sky. Only look at it!' The ground is all covered with stones and rocks. Is that what you call beautiful? And the trees are as homely as they can be, with their great brown stems and no leaves. Come, what are you staring at? Ellen's eyes were fixed on a string of dark spots, which were rapidly passing overhead. Hark! said she, do you hear that noise? What is that? What is that? Isn't it only a flock of ducks? said the other, contemptuously. Come, do come. But Ellen was rooted to the ground, and her eyes followed the airy travellers, till the last one had quitted the piece of blue sky which the surrounding woods left to be seen, and scarcely were these gone when a second flight came in view, following exactly in the track of the first. "'Where are they going?' said Ellen. "'I am sure I don't know where they are going. They never told me. I know where I am going. I should like to know whether you are going along with me.' Ellen, however, was in no hurry. The ducks had disappeared, but her eye had caught something else that charmed it. "'What is this?' said Ellen. "'Nothing but moss. "'Is that moss? "'How beautiful! "'How green and soft it is! "'I declare it soft as carpet.' "'As soft as carpet,' repeated the other. "'I should like to see a carpet as soft as that. "'You never did, I guess.' "'Indeed I have, though,' said Ellen, who was gently jumping up and down "'on the green moss to try its softness, with a face of great satisfaction.' "'I don't believe it a bit,' said the other. "'All the carpets I ever saw were as hard as a board, and harder, as soft as that, indeed.' "'Well,' said Ellen, still jumping up and down, with bonnet off, and glowing cheek, and her hair dancing about her face, "'you may believe what you like, but I've seen a carpet as soft as this, and softer, too. Only one, though.' "'What was it made of?' "'What other carpets are made of, I suppose? "'Come, I'll go with you now.' "'I do think this is the loveliest place I ever did see. "'Are there any flowers here in the spring?' "'I don't know. "'Yes, lots of em. "'Pretty ones?' said Ellen. "'You'd think so, I suppose. "'I never look at em. "'Oh, how lovely that will be!' said Ellen, clasping her hands. "'How pleasant it must be to live in the country.' "'Pleasant indeed,' said the other. "'I think it's hateful. "'You'd think so, too, if you lived where I do. "'It makes me mad at Granny every day because she won't go to Thorowall.' wait till we get out of the wood and i'll show you where i live you can't see it from here shocked a little at her companion's language ellen again walked on in sober silence gradually the ground became more broken sinking rapidly from the side of the path and rising again in a steep bank on the other side of a narrow dell both sides were thickly wooded but stripped of green now except where here and there a hemlock fir flung its graceful branches abroad and stood in lonely beauty among its leafless companions Now the gurgling of water was heard. "'Where is that?' said Ellen, stopping short. "'Way down, down at the bottom there. It's the brook.' "'What brook? Not the same that goes by Aunt Fortune's?' "'Yes, it's the very same. It's the crookedest thing you ever saw. It runs over there,' said the speaker, pointing with her arm. And then it takes a turn and goes that way. And then it comes round so. And then it shoots off in that way again and passes by your house. And after that, the deer knows where it goes, for I don't. "'but I don't suppose it could run straight "'if it was to try to. "'Can we get down to it?' said Ellen. "'To be sure we can, "'unless you're as afraid of steep banks "'as you are of fences.' "'Very steep, indeed, it was, "'and strewn with loose stones. "'But Ellen did not falter here, "'and though once or twice in imminent danger "'of exchanging her cautious stepping "'for one long roll to the bottom, "'she got there safely on her two feet. "'When there everything was forgotten in delight, "'it was a wild little place,' The high, close sides of the dell left only a little strip of sky overhead, and at their feet ran the brook, much more noisy and lively here than where Ellen had before made its acquaintance, leaping from rock to rock, eddying round large stones, and boiling over the small ones, and now and then pouring quietly over some great trunk of a tree that had fallen across its bed and dammed up the whole stream. Ellen could scarcely contain herself at the magnificence of many of the waterfalls, THE BEAUTY OF THE LITTLE QUIET POOLS WHERE THE WATER LAY STILL BEHIND SOME LARGE STONE, AND THE VARIETY OF GRACEFUL, TINY CASCADES. "'Look here, Nancy!' cried Ellen. "'That's the Fall of Niagara. Do you see? That large one! Oh, that is splendid! And this will do for Trenton Falls. What a fine foam it makes! Isn't it a beauty? And what shall we call this? I don't know what to call it. I wish we could name them all. But there's no end to them. Oh, just look at that one. That's too pretty not to have a name.' "'What shall it be?' "'Black Falls,' suggested the other. "'Black,' said Ellen dubiously. "'Why, I don't like that.' "'Why, the water's all dark and black, don't you see?' "'Well,' said Ellen, "'let it be black, then. "'But I don't like it. "'Now remember, "'this is Niagara, "'that is Black, "'and this is Trenton, "'and what is this?' "'If you are going to name them all,' said Nancy, "'we shan't get home to-night. "'You might as well name all the trees. "'There's a hundred of them, and more.' I say, Ellen, Supposin' we follow the brook instead of climbing up yonder again. It will take us out to the open fields by and by. Oh, do let, said Ellen, that will be lovely. It proved a rough way, but Ellen still thought, and called it, lovely. Often by the side of the stream there was no footing at all, and the girls picked their way over the stones, large and small, wet and dry, which strewed its bed, against which the water foamed and fumed and fretted, as if in great impatience. It was ticklish work getting along over these stones, now tottering on an unsteady one, now slipping on a wet one, and every now and then making huge leaps from rock to rock, which there was no other method of reaching, at the imminent hazard of falling in. But they laughed at the danger, sprang on in great glee, delighted with the exercise and the fun, didn't stay long enough anywhere to lose their balance, and enjoyed themselves amazingly. There was many a hair-breadth escape, many an almost sousing but that made it all the more lively the brook formed as nancy had said a constant succession of little waterfalls its course being quite steep and very rocky and in some places there were pools quite deep enough to have given them a thorough wetting to say no more if they had missed their footing and tumbled in but this did not happen in due time though with no little difficulty they reached the spot where the brook came forth from the wood into the open day and thence, making a sharp turn to the right, skirted along by the edge of the trees, as if unwilling to part company with them. "'I guess we'd better get back into the lane now,' said Miss Nancy. "'We're a pretty good long way from home.'" End of chapter 11